And so we're going to wrap up the armor of God today, and we are going to wrap up Ephesians and start something new uh, next week. And so you've picked a good week to be here. We're so glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. Um, let's go ahead. If we can all stand up together for the reading of God's word. Let's get into it. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 through 18. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you have given us this uh, equipment uh, that we might be prepared in the midst of battle. And so, Lord, I pray as we dig into this passage just for a few moments, God, that you would humble our hearts, uh, that we might come before your word, um, not seeking to make it say what we want to say, but uh, that we would seek to um, figure out what you want to say and that we would mold ourselves to your truth. God, I pray that that's true of our worship and our study today. And it's in your son's name I pray, amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. Well, I got a weird question for you to start out today. How many of you have ever been in a hurricane? Any? Okay, we got a few. Um, well, and I've been in a hurricane, kind of. There's a big, like, asterisk on that, kind of. Uh, in 2008, I graduated high school, and I went to college at East Texas Baptist University over in Marshall, Texas. Does everyone know where that is, Marshall, Texas? So, um, fresh out of high school, go there. And not two weeks after I get there and get settled into my dorm, Hurricane Ike comes. Do y'all remember Hurricane Ike in 2008? Uh, let me just recap you if you don't know. Uh, Hurricane Ike at its largest was a Category 4. Uh, and then it came up through the Gulf Coast of Texas uh, as a Category 2, devastated a lot of southern parts of Texas. Um, like it hit Houston really bad. Well, it kept working its way up Texas and eventually uh, got to um, uh, Marshall, where I'm at. Now, by the time it got to Marshall, uh, there wasn't much, uh, or it, it lost a lot of its power by that point, but it was still considered at least a tropical storm, if not like a low, low-grade hurricane. Um, so I was a freshman, young, naive, 18-year-old uh, college student, and I was sitting in my dorm the first day that this hurricane made its way into town. And I thought to myself, I need to go to the cafeteria. I need to go eat. But there's a hurricane outside. And I thought to myself, no fear, I've got an umbrella. <laughs> you know where this is going. <laughs> So my, in all of my infinite wisdom, I thought an umbrella was a good thing to take. So, so let me throw some numbers out here and, and uh, compare these two things. So Hurricane Ike was a category two when it hit Texas. And that means that uh, it had wind gusts of up to 130 miles an hour and it had sustaining wind of up to 110 miles an hour. Now again, to be fair, by the time it reached me, it wasn't that strong, but it was still pretty decent. Versus my umbrella. My umbrella cost me $10. Actually, it probably cost my mom $10, she gave it to me. But 
and it was collapsible. That's it. That's all my umbrellas got. So in all of my infinite wisdom, my poor, naive, innocent 18 year old brain, I step out uh, into this uh, hurricane winds with this umbrella and you know what immediately happens? It inverts on itself and it starts like pulling me away. And I probably just look like a complete dodo out there, like chasing my umbrella around. I completely broke it. Um, now, you might be wondering, uh, what does this story have to do with anything? The reason I tell this story is because um, in the midst of that hurricane, I was so ridiculously unprepared and ill-equipped to handle it. But us Christians are not that way. The Bible describes us as being in a, a war, a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare against an enemy, but we're not unprepared or ill-equipped to handle this war. God has given us things to make sure that we can defend ourselves and make sure we can fire back at the enemy. Like we've spent the past four weeks uh, going through the armor of God and we've talked about um, how God has given us the belt of truth, how God has given us the breastplate of righteousness, how he's given us the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. And all of those, if you haven't realized yet, are defensive weapons. Today, the passage we're gonna look at, God is finally given us an offensive weapon. He's given us a sword to be able to fight back and fire back against the enemy. And I believe that if we can harness the power of this sword that God has given us, then we will not lose any battle that Satan comes at us with. That if we don't harness the power of this sword, we will look like young, naive, 18-year-old Chris standing in a hurricane with a $10 umbrella. But if we do harness the power of the sword, we will look like Thor with a hammer, ready to go. Okay, so we're going to dig into today's passage, and I just want to present to you a few points um, that would help us fully, fully utilize the weapons and the tools that God has given us uh, in the sword of the Spirit to be able to fight back against the enemy. Cool? So the first point that we're going to look at today is to know your weapon. If God is going to give you a weapon, you first need to know your weapon. I find it interesting uh, in the military, uh, whenever they issue you um, all of your gear, they'll issue you a weapon. And in issuing uh, you a weapon, they require you to know that weapon. They require you to know it inwards and outs. And they even have like quotas that you be able to field strip a weapon in a certain amount of time. Field strip means like take it apart, not to its studs, but uh, have functional taking apart of the weapon and then put it back together within a certain amount of time. And if you haven't seen this before, it's actually quite amazing to watch. I've got a video for you that will show you. Man, that's quick. Uh, I would have sworn that that uh, clip was sped up if he did not have the timer going right there. Um, but have you ever wondered why do they require you to 
field strip your weapon? Um, well, there's a few reasons that they require you to be able to do this with your weapons. Um, a few are like uh, to be able to clean and maintain it and make sure that your gun is operational and that you're able to do those things. But one of the big reasons that they require you to be able to field strip your weapon in a certain amount of time is so that you know your weapons forwards and backwards. It's like whenever you're in the midst of battle, like if you're in the military and you're in the midst of battle and there's people firing bullets at you and your gun malfunctions, that is not the time to learn how your gun operates. That is the time for you to put countless hours of practice into effect and into um, clearing that jam, clearing that malfunction as quickly as possible so you can get back into the battle and save your life, save your fellow soldiers' lives. And as Christians, we have, um, we have a weapon that's been given to us, the sword of the Spirit. Now, now what is this uh, weapon? What is the sword of the Spirit? Well, let's take a look in verse 17 of our passage today. It says this, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is our weapon. Now, interestingly enough, this is the weapon of choice. Not anything else. The word of God is the weapon of choice that God has given us. And I love that because it's not some far out there thing. Like it's not um, some like super elite spiritual gift that's reserved for the really good Christians. Like this is a weapon given to every Christian. Like in fact, all of you probably have this weapon in your pocket on your phone. Now, our goal and our job is to get to know that weapon. But here's what I fear. I fear that with the overwhelming access to this weapon, to the Bible, to the Word of God, um, and like, for example, like a lot of you can pull it up on your phone in like probably a hundred different translations in different languages. You can pull up resources from top theologians. You can listen to it. I fear that there's so much abundance of access to this weapon that we've become lethargic and apathetic towards getting to know it, right? It's like, why do I need to know what the Bible says when I have Google? I can just Google whenever I need to. Here's why you need to know your Bible and you don't need to rely on Google. It's because the enemy, Satan, knows the Bible really really well. In fact, I would branch out to say that Satan knows the Bible better than you know the Bible. And if you're not careful, Satan will take our weapon that has been given to us and then turn it and use it against us. And we see this in the Bible, uh, Luke 4 uh, verse 9. Um, so Satan uh, is tempting Jesus in the wilderness. And I love this passage for for a lot of reasons, uh, but it's great because we kind of start to see behind the scenes of how Satan really works whenever he tempts people and whenever he tries to pull people away from God. Um, so in Luke 4, verse 9, it says this, So he, Satan, took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Did you see what Satan did here? He quoted scripture to Jesus. If there's one person I don't want to get in a scripture off with, it's Jesus. 
right? But Satan does this, and it's because this is how he fights. Like, if you don't know, so in your Bible, um, after it says for is written in verse 10, it probably gives like bold text right there. Whenever it gives bold text, that means that it's a quote from the Old Testament, right? And so Satan here quotes Psalm 91, or a couple of verses from Psalm 91. Now, here's how Satan works. Satan will take scripture, he knows scripture so well that he'll take a verse or a passage or a concept of scripture, and he will twist it just enough, omit just enough, take it just enough out of context that it sounds biblical, but it couldn't be the further, furthest thing from the truth. It sounds Christian, but it's actually pulling you away from God. And that's what happened here. So, so Satan presents Psalm 91 as if it was a prophetic uh, or a prophecy concerning Jesus as the Messiah in this specific moment. That's not what it's about. Psalm 91 isn't even about Jesus. It isn't even a prophecy. What Psalm 91 is, is just a general psalm about the general follower of God and how God oversees their life day to day. But Satan is so good that he presents it in such a way that it sounds like it's a prophecy about the Messiah. It had me fooled. Like I thought it was a prophecy about the Messiah and it was just a little bit twisted until I actually got looking into it and realized that's not what this is. Satan is so good and so knowledgeable when it comes to the Bible that he can twist these things just enough that it makes you think it's Christian and godly, but it's actually pulling you away from God. And if you don't know your weapon, you won't be able to fight back against it. So we see Jesus um, after, after Satan presents that, we see Jesus fight back with the sword of the spirit, with the word of God. So verse 12, uh, immediately after this, Jesus says this, and Jesus answered him, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. Again, if you have your Bibles, the do not test the Lord your God, that's in bold as well. So what did Jesus do? He threw scripture right back at him. And that's how you fight Satan. That, that's how you use the sword, the weapon that God has given you. You have to be able to fight bad theology with good theology. You have to be able to fight out of context scripture with in context scripture. Now here's the question. How was Jesus able to fire back so quickly the word of God. It's because he knew it. He knew it forwards and backwards. I promise you, after Satan said that, Jesus didn't pull out his scrolls of the Old Testament and started reading through them, trying to find a way to counteract the point that Satan just made. Jesus knew what was going on. Jesus knew by memory what Psalm 91 said, what the point of it was. But even more importantly, he knew that um, God uh, is not to be tested. And so he threw that scripture back out. God is not to be tested. And if we're not ready, if we don't know our weapon, Satan will just keep attacking us and keep attacking us and we will have no way to attack back. And I think that's what he's doing today. I think that's how Satan works in our world because that's how he's always worked in the Bible. Here's what he does. He takes Christians, and I lose, use that word loosely. He takes nominal cultural Christians who have a less than functional understanding of the Bible and he uses them to propagate twisted, out of context, distorted views of Christianity that actually pull people away from God. 
I see this all the time, like in Facebook posts, you know, those Facebook posts that get shared around that sound really Christian. And, but if you like know your Bible, you kind of like tilt your head at it and wonder why it says that. Or celebrities when they talk or government officials when they talk or movies or music, it's people who have a loose connection to Christianity and they will make these bold claims about what Christianity is and what the Bible says. And to the untrained ear, it sounds really Christian and it sounds really biblical. But to anyone who knows their weapon, who knows the word of God is listening to that and they're saying, that's not right. And this is maybe one of the most dangerous um, attacks that Satan can pull on us. Like there's lots of attacks that are going on in like Hollywood and, and in our culture. Um, but this one might be the most dangerous type of attack. And the reason it's the most dangerous kind of attack is that it's covert, it's disguised and it's hidden. Like it has the appearance of Christianity, it pulls people away from Christianity. And if we don't know our weapon, if we don't know the Bible, the word of God, then we have no attack back against it. And people are left getting hit in the crossfire. So the question is, do you know the word of God? And if you don't know the word of God, then you'll be living your life as uh, Ephesians 4.13 says. And it says that um, you'll be spiritually mature, being tossed around by every wind of doctrine and every deceit. We need to know our weapons so we can fight back against the enemy. And you can do this a number of ways. Obviously, you can read your Bible. I think that's a very good thing to do is to read your Bible, but there's other ways to ingest God's word. Um, you can listen to the Bible. For those of you that don't like reading, you can just pull up that Bible app, press the play button at the bottom, and it reads it to you. What a world we live in. Um, you can uh, listen to trusted pastors and speakers. You can listen to podcasts. Um, uh, you can find a lot of different ways to ingest the word of God. Here's what you need to do. You just need to find ways to burrow it into your heart so that way when the attack happens, you're ready to go. You're not caught off guard. So that's the first point. We need to uh, know our weapon. The second point I want to get into is uh, uh, use your weapon on the enemy. God has given us all this armor and all of this uh, and the sword to be able to attack back on a very specific enemy. Pastor Lee covered this verse a few weeks ago when we first started the armor of God, but it's worth bringing up again. Uh, Ephesians 6, 11, uh, just a few verses up says this, it says, put on the armor or put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I'll read that part again. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Man, I love that verse. We're gonna read a lot of verses today that I love, but I love that verse because it tells us very clearly that we're not each other's enemy. Like our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. Like I'm not your enemy, you're not my enemy. Our spouse isn't our enemy. Our kids aren't our enemy but sometimes they seem like our enemy. Um, our coworkers aren't our enemy. Our friends aren't our enemy. Our boss isn't our enemy. Our enemy is Satan. Our enemy is sin. Our enemy is evil. And that's what we're supposed to use this weapon against. We're supposed to attack Satan and evil and sin with this weapon, not each other. But too often we start attacking each other. Why do we do that? Have y'all ever wondered? Um, it seems like in our 
uh, it's in our human nature to just fight about things. Like, like it's weird. Um, like like a, a topic will come up or a controversy will come up often uh, and immediately it gets polarized and people start arguing and debating and attacking each other over it. Um, so the past couple of weeks, um, there's two uh, big stories that have come out. Um, one is Jeff Bezos going to space, right? And the other is Simone Biles uh, pulling out of the Olympics. Both of these things are relatively insignificant to our lives, right? Like, like Simone Biles pulling out of the Olympics doesn't affect you and it doesn't affect me. But oh my goodness, it's like on Facebook, everyone's lost their minds about these two issues. Like I just see dozens of posts of people spouting their opinion and then demonizing people who disagree with their opinion. And I'm just wondering, why do we have to fight about everything? Like, why is it that every single little topic that comes up, all of a sudden, like, it gets polarized into uh, two camps, and then we just attack each other over those things? It doesn't matter. And, like, I can't fault the world for doing that, because lost people do lost things. But the danger is, is that it starts to work its way into the church. And when it works its way into the church, we just start attacking each other with the Word of God. So, like, like denominations... Uh, so like we have like Baptist and Presbyterian and Methodist and yada, 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 all those. Um, did you know, we, we're pretty friendly now, but did you know just a couple hundred years ago that the volatility and the hostility between the denominations was so high that if you were to switch denominations, you risked losing your family and your friends? They would just disown you. And this is over secondary issues. Like we're not talking about issues like, is Jesus God? Like that's, that's something, yes, put your foot in the ground. But we're talking about like secondary issues, like what mode of baptism do we do? Do we sprinkle or do we dunk? Do we spray them with a water hose or throw them in a dunking booth? These are secondary issues and they're important issues. Don't get me wrong. Some of these things are important issues, but they're not primary issues. And so we just start fighting each other over these things and attacking each other over these things. And it amazes me that this happens in the church and, and don't be fooled, this still happens today, that the church divides itself so much. And it amazes me that that happens because the Bible spends so much effort warning us about maintaining unity in the spirit and not having unnecessary divisions and arguing. Second Timothy uh, 2.14 says this. It says, remind them, this is Paul talking to Timothy, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Like, be careful. And I'm really talking more to like the, the Bible thumpers, like myself, like the guys that like to get into the weeds of theology. Um, uh, like, like you, you know who you are if you're one of them. Um, uh, I'm really talking to us because, man, in the midst of getting into the weeds of those things, be careful to not let those conversations turn into quarrels. And as those conversations turn into quarrels, it ruins you, it ruins them, and ruins anyone that's listening to you. Now, I'm not saying that we don't worry about doctrine. And I'm not saying that um, denominations are bad. I think denominations are really good. I, uh, there's like a push away from denominations in our current cultural Christianity church setting. Um, 
I think denominations are good because uh, as a visitor, it allows me to see at a glance, like what does your church believe doctrinally about the Bible? Um, so I think denominations are good. And I think doctrine and theology is incredibly good. And, and it's important for us to hash these things out. It's important for us to hash out theology so that way it's airtight and we know who God is and where we stand with God. Uh, and even Proverbs 27, 17 calls us to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. Now here's where we need to be careful. In us sharpening one another, we need to be careful that we don't start stabbing one another. I remember when I was uh, in high school, um, I was a junior, senior, uh, and I started um, to really grow love for the Bible and theology, and I would spend a lot of time studying and doing all these things. And I had a friend uh, who recently started going to a church, and uh, it's a different denomination, and, and they just believed um, a little bit differently about a few different things. And, and we kind of started to debate about some of these issues, uh, which is a kind word for arguing. Uh, so um, we started to debate over some of these issues. And I remember it was me, uh, a friend of mine and her, we were in her apartment um, talking about these issues. And, um, and as we were debating these things, and I don't remember exactly what I said, but I let a sentence slip from my mouth. And I remember that this sentence, though I don't remember exactly what it was, I remember it was unkind and demeaning towards her. And as soon as that sentence left my mouth, I could see the hurt in her face and the hurt in her eyes. Which, by the way, you can't see through a keyboard. Like, I don't care what people text back or message back to you on these forums or on Facebook. Words hurt people. And I saw the hurt in her eyes. And I made a promise to myself that in all of my studying of the Bible, in all of my discussing the Bible, I will never let my love for theology and doctrine lead me to attack someone with it. Because that's not what we're called to do. We're called to attack Satan and sin. We're called to sharpen one another. And the more that we attack one another, the more Satan is getting what he wants. Like that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to get distracted and start attacking one another. Just think about it. Like if you were in a war with someone, you and them, what's the best strategy you can do? Get them to fight with each other. You don't even have to attack anymore. They're attacking each other. It's just a distraction. And the more we attack each other, the less we attack Satan. And we need full hands on deck to attack Satan. Our, men, our weapon is meant to be used on the enemy, not each other. Now, the neat thing about this passage is that uh, Paul does give us a tool to use on each other. And it's not a sword, but he does give us a tool to use on each other. So, so let's keep going. So Ephesians 6, 18, uh, the verse right after that, says this. It says, pray at all times in the spirit, with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So the first point we have for today is know your weapon. Second point is use your weapon on the enemy. Third point is use prayer on your fellow soldiers. 
Like God gave us all this armor to defend attacks against the enemy and a sword to attack the enemy back, but he gave us prayer to care for our fellow soldiers. And if we were to keep the the military kind of um, illustration through this metaphor, um, uh, prayer is like our radio back to home base. Like prayer is meant to be used like when you're on the battlefield and your fellow soldier is wounded and bleeding out, like your radio, yeah, prayer is your radio to call back to the commander for reinforcements. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. Ephesians 6.18, um, so the same verse, uh, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with uh, all perseverance. And then the, this is the part that I wanna hone in on and intercession for all saints. I love the word intercession. Again, there's a lot of things I love today. Intercession is such a great word. If you don't know what it means, it means the action of intervening on behalf of another. And so when we pray for each other, we are intervening on behalf of them to God. And we need more of this in the church. Like in this war, we need more intervening and interceding for each other and appealing to God for each other. We need that. Um, Man, I am really appreciative of our strategic prayer group here at the church. I don't know if y'all realize that we have one. Uh, We have a strategic prayer team that meets every Monday morning faithfully. And their sole purpose when they meet together is to discuss the needs of the church and to the needs of the people in the church and then just pray over them. We need more of that. We need more intercession. We need less fighting each other and more praying for each other. We need people who step up and intercede for others on God. Like when your fellow soldier has fallen, intercede for them. When your brother or sister in Christ is struggling in sin, intercede for them. We need the strong to build up the weak. We need the, the um, healthy to tend to the wounded. We need Christians who are willing to step up and intercede to God on behalf of others. Now, as we close out of uh, Ephesians today, as we wrap up this armor of God, uh, you might be asking yourself, why? Like, like why do we need to pray for each other so much? Why do we need this um, uh, belt of truth and this breastplate of righteousness? Why do we need uh, this uh, shield of faith and helmet of salvation? And why do we need the sword? We need these things because we are in a very real war. And this war is between God and his people and Satan and sin and evil. And one of the things that we don't realize is whenever there's a war, there's casualties of war. There's crossfire in the war. There's collateral damage in the war. And in this war between God and his people and Satan and sin, the casualties and the collateral damage of this war are lost people are people who don't know God. That's the whole reason Satan is attacking us. The more he can distract us and put us down, the less we can go out and reach the lost. The more he can distract us by fighting each other, the less we will preach the gospel, uh, calling people to repentance of their sin. Paul wraps up the armor of God with this very request. Ephesians six nineteen, verse right after says this, it says, pray also for me 
that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of the gospel. That's our whole purpose. That's our whole mission. The reason God has given us this armor and this sword is that we might be strong and that we might be able to stand with boldness, preaching the gospel, bringing the light into a dark world. And so my hope is, as we wrap up Ephesians today, that we would be reminded of what God has done for us. That we'd be reminded that God has saved us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his work on the cross and in the resurrection. And that because of that salvation, we might then turn and make known the goodness of God and the glory of God to a lost, broken world, doomed to hell, separated from God. Don't forget your mission. So get strong in the Lord. Put on your armor, God. Grab your sword that we might preach with boldness to the lost. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you uh, for these words, and I thank you, God, that you have equipped us with everything that we need. God, that if, if we have placed our faith in Christ, there's not a single person in here who can say, I don't have what I need. You've given us everything to defend yourself against the enemy. You've given us uh, your word to attack back. And I pray, Lord, that as we wrap this up, God, that you would convict us where we haven't utilized those things, that you would convict us where we get distracted by stupid things, that you would convict us where we have missed our mission, where we have gotten so caught up in civilian affairs that we forgot that we have a goal and a mission to accomplish. We're gonna move into a time of invitation. And in this time, we just wanna give you an opportunity to do whatever God is calling you to do. Um, you may be a person who has been spent too much of your time attacking other Christians or other people and missing who our enemy is. And maybe you just wanna ask forgiveness to God for it. Maybe you've realized that you haven't been interceding enough for the people in your life. And you just wanna take a few moments just praying for the people that you know who are struggling and who are hurting. Maybe you're a person who is struggling. Maybe you're a person who is hurting and is wounded and you just need some people to pray for you. Maybe you realize you don't know who Jesus is that you've gotten uh, deceived into thinking that you were saved, but you don't know who he is and that you don't have the armor of God. Well, we'd love to talk with you more about that. We'd love to pray with you and share the gospel with you in that. We're gonna have this time of singing and if any of those things are you, man, come up here, pray in your seat. Come up here, we'd love to pray with you, love to talk with you. The altar's open if you wanna pray up here. Whatever it is for you, we just want to give you that opportunity. If we can stand up together.